The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist, and I'm on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And I'm absolutely honored today to bring to you Mr. Jeffrey Dunn. He is the Chief Executive Officer for Bolt House Farms based in California, in Bakersfield. And prior to that, Mr. Dunn worked for the Coca-Cola company, where he was in charge of Coca-Cola North America. You served as president. Were you in charge of marketing? You were in charge of the whole kit and caboodle. Yeah, Melinda, I was uh, President Chief Operating Officer for Coke North America, so we have the marketing arms as well as dealing with all of our bottlers in North America. It's, it's a franchise bottling system, and we also had our fountain business, which deals with all the food service customers. So, yeah, pretty much from end to end, I was responsible for that. Well, I heard you speak at Expo West, which is probably the largest marketing and trade show for natural and organic foods in Anaheim in early March And I was so impressed with your talk on marketing healthy foods that I thought, I have to have you. So welcome. I'm I'm thrilled that you're here. Happy to be here and and happy to talk about uh, marketing healthy foods because it's an important and interesting subject, especially given everything that's going on in that arena these days. Well, you started out your talk in Anaheim describing an aha moment that you had in Rio, and that was when you were still working for Coca-Cola. Tell us what that was. Well, you know, like many people who go through their lives, you know, we have those moments when, you know, you you walk into something that, you know, changes your perspectives, I guess is the best way for me to, to describe it. So after about 20 years at Coca-Cola, and my father worked for Coke for 47 years, so I was actually born into the Coca-Cola business while I was running our Latin American business. I had the opportunity one day to be out with some of our bottlers looking at new opportunities for distribution, and we were thinking about smaller sizes and specifically targeted at uh, lower-income consumers. Uh, This is around uh, 2000. And many companies, Procter & Gamble and others, were thinking about what they described as single-server micro sizes that would be more affordable. And as we walked through, really, the barrios of Rio, thinking about how to get these types of packages and products into distribution. I just kind of walked into a, what I describe as almost like a jello wall, you know, as I looked around and saw these folks uh, who traditionally I would have thought as consumers are an opportunity to drive per capita consumption of Coke. This voice in my head said, you know, the, these people need a lot. And one of the things they probably don't need at this stage is a Coke. And what that meant to me was that Coke's a great product and a great company and and do wonderful things. But if you think about the basic needs, especially the basic nutritional needs of people across the socioeconomic 
strata. At the lower strata, they have less education, and they're really susceptible to marketing and these products. And, and the problem is they're spending whatever disposable income they have on products many times that don't have the kind of nutritional profile they need. And so that kind of changed the path of of my life and ended up leaving the company and, and really on a search to try to bring all that I'd learned about marketing products into healthy product space. When you had this aha moment, did you share that with any of your marketing and advertising colleagues? And did they think that you were right? Or did they say, oh, no, Jeff, you're you're going down the wrong path? Well, at the moment, I didn't share it with them because it took me a little bit of time to process it because it was such a a powerful realization. But but over time, in the days subsequent to that, before I left Coke, you know, I tried to, to get Coke to do a couple of things. One is to think more about a portfolio of products that met more needs and especially moved into more of the nutritional space. And as we thought about different countries around the world and different, again, consumer groups and, and socioeconomic stratus is trying to move more into healthy nutrition products that could be sold into the developing world as opposed to just thinking about carbonated soft drinks and, and the traditional products we sold. Well, you know, people understood it and they, they felt like, you know, that was reasonable. But when when your primary business is carbonated soft drinks, and the name on the, the door is Coca-Cola. It's pretty hard to get those types of companies to focus on anything other than their core business. So I guess I would describe myself as being unsuccessful at getting them to shift their their product portfolio orientation. Well, good for you for trying. Well, with Bolt House Farms now, and pretty much everything we sell is healthy. You know, we started in the carrot business and it moved into the the juice business, the smoothie business, protein drinks. And, and one of the things that makes it really fun to get up every day is pretty much everything we sell is good for people. So in this case, we can sell as much as we can find a way to of our, our baby carrots and, and our juices. And, and all of that, I think, helps people lead healthier, more vibrant lives. And so that's you know, there's term cognitive dissonance. There's no cognitive dissonance in that for me. It's just about getting up every day and, and, and trying to do that as best we can. Well, you described how the shift came in selling baby carrots. So baby carrots were already a pretty big seller. I mean, they're easy to pack around. They taste good. They're good for dipping. But you took baby carrots to a different level with a marketing approach. Tell us what that was. Well, about two years ago now, I've been with Bolt House about three years. When I got there, what I had found with our baby carrot business was that it had 20 years of pretty much sustained growth. I mean, baby carrots were invented in 1985, and, you know, they're the perfect snack. They're healthy. They're very affordable, portable, fun, all those things. But the business had flattened out, and we were not seeing much growth in the baby carrot business. And given the overarching trends on health and the need for healthier snacks, what became clear to me is we needed to take a different approach than we'd had in the past. And historically, there was not much marketing around baby carrots. So we've studied other commodity campaigns like the Got Milk campaign, the beef campaign, almonds. And what we learned was very interesting. What we found is that 
these commodity-type campaigns historically actually worked really well, driving anywhere from a two- to ten-time multiple of what they'd invested in into the campaign in incremental sales. But the baby carrot business had never had that kind of campaign. So we ended up hiring Crispin Porter, a pretty well-known ad agency who had done a lot of work in kind of changing perceptions and being pretty avant-garde in their approach. And we developed a campaign called Eat Em Like Junk Food. And the idea was this, that the junk foods had really infringed upon the healthy eating space over the past certainly 10 years. You know, 100-calorie packs, all kinds of repackaging and remarketing, low-fat, you know, low sugar, but all of it was really about taking a existing product that wasn't particularly nutritious and trying to shift perceptions to make it seem healthier. Well, from my point of view, we already had a perfect healthy snack called baby carrots, but what it needed was a more contemporary architecture. And so the Eat Em Like Junk Food campaign, in, in its most simple terms, took the baby carrot and wrapped it in all the iconography and the imagery of junk food advertising. We called it putting a sheep in wolves clothing because the junk food advertisers had become really expert at creating excitement, news, innovation, and using advertising, television advertising, especially that was humorous and breakthrough. You know, think about Doritos ads and those kinds of things that really punched through and made their products relevant. So we took baby carrots and we developed a, a really a fully integrated campaign with television commercials, with the first carrot-driven app game for an iPhone. We did a YouTube series, a website, Facebook page, social media, all of the elements. And what we've been able to see in the in the early returns on this campaign is driving double-digit growth in the baby carrot business, which, again, from going to flat to double-digit is pretty impressive. We're still only with the television aspects of this campaign in a few markets because, as you can imagine, it's expensive. But the the other trick to this is if you're going to grow your business 10%, we actually have to grow carrots. It's not like we can just turn the factory up and and make more Oreos or Doritos. When we uh, decide to invest in this kind of campaign, it has to be done in a way where uh, it takes about six months to, to grow carrots. So, you know, we're always kind of thinking six to eight months out in, in what markets we want to go into, uh, because if we just turned it on today in, on national TV, uh, we wouldn't have enough carrots to supply the demand. That's very interesting. So you also on Balthouse Farms. Now, you, you produce baby carrots for several different brands. Is that correct? Yeah, well, we and our grower partners, we have about 50 grower partners, so we grow Many of them ourselves, we process all of them, and then we've got grower partners. But as we process and package our baby carrots, some of them are in the Bolthouse labeled trademark. Some are under the Green Giant trademark. And then many of our large customers, people like Wegmans or Walmart or, or Kroger, they have them in their own store brand label. But all of those, for the most part, are produced by us. There's We're a bit of a duopoly. There's one other major carrot producer called uh, called Grimway Farms, right. who uh, is also, and between the two of us, we have about 80 to 90% of the North American carrot business. So you have to be very sensitive then to everyone's marketing campaigns, because if one person is extremely successful, then you've got to meet that growing demand on the other end. 
Well, and as you think about the the reason for doing a commodity-type campaign, making baby carrots the heroes, as opposed to Bolthouse Farms baby carrots, you know, we really made the commodity itself the hero. Right. Is that makes it easy for individual customers, again, people like Walmart, to participate in the campaign. And our goal over time is to get kind of all the carrot producers in the U.S. to be part of this campaign, because if we can grow the, the whole category, it it kind of raises all boats, mm-hmm. and uh, that's an ongoing process, you know, especially given the nature of this campaign. And if your listeners want to go, you know, if you go to www.babycarrots.com or just put baby carrots into your Facebook page, you'll see it, and it's very involving, but it's a non-traditional approach. Most commodity campaigns, Got Milk's probably the exception, but most of them tend to focus on the intrinsic benefits, telling you, what are the health benefits associated with eating a product or they're about dealing with a negative perception about a product and trying to overcome that. In this case, we're not really coming at this from the standpoint of the the health benefits of baby carrots, although they're great. The beta carotene antioxidant, you know, very strong, both nutritional and and health benefits, but rather creating uh, an imagery around them and fun around them because, again, thinking about families, especially kids, and this campaign has resonated with kids in a very powerful way, is that they're the recipients of a tremendous amount of marketing. So they're very used to that kind of campaign. And, again, when we, we put some vending machines into high schools uh, in these test markets, and we found a fascinating thing. By putting baby carrots into packaging, which was part of the program, that looks like junk food packaging. Think about it. Like it looks like a Doritos bag, you know, single serve, like bag of potato chips. We put that in vending machines and made those available in high schools. Well, tremendous positive response by the kids in the high school. They're eating a lot more carrots. And what they told us was that when we put it, uh, baby carrots in this kind of contemporary packaging, we put make it available in the vending machines, that they taste better. That, again, from their standpoint, they're so used to buying branded products that by wrapping baby carrots in that same kind of branding, it makes it more accessible and more interesting for them. And ultimately, a baby carrot's a baby carrot, but they tell us that it tastes better. So uh, if that's the reaction they have, that's marketing at work at its best, I guess. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Jeff Dunn. He's the chief executive officer for Bolthouse Farms, which is the largest carrot processor in North America. Prior to that, he was with Coca-Cola for 22 years, Coca-Cola North America. And really, I'm so glad you brought up the high school marketing and the high school vending machine plan because I actually have a slide that I use in some of the talks that I give from John Alm. Did you remember John Alm? He was the oh, oh sure, John's uh, uh, John was the CEO of Coca-Cola Enterprises, our largest bottler, and I uh, I did business with John for a long time. Well, in April of 2003, he was quoted in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution saying, the school system is where you build brand loyalty. And I show that to other public health educators because I want them to make the connection between branding and advertising and being in the really important spaces such as public schools. And now here you are following in John's footsteps Only instead of putting sugary drinks in high schools, you're putting baby carrots. That's brilliant. Well, for a long time, part of Coca-Cola's strategy was to be 
ubiquitous. And, and, and by that, you know, they wanted it to be within an arm's reach of desire. And so whether you were the local grocery store or McDonald's or the theme park or the baseball field or at school, they, they wanted their product to be as available as possible. It's a great marketing strategy. Well, that was fine till call it the last 25 years and, and leading up to really go, starting in the 2000 or so, there was a huge pushback, really started by the Los Angeles School District, was the first school district that banned soft drinks, and then it's it's gone on from there because what had ended up happening, it was the, the soft drink marketers, and this was true for the Pepsi system as well as Coke, had placed a huge number of vending machines in, into school environments. And in most school environments, those vending, vending machines were not on during the school hours, but they'd be on before and after school. And that was the place, felt very strongly by the Coke folks, that you could build that kind of brand loyalty by the time kids were 15, 16 years old, and they'd carry that brand loyalty through their life. It also was a fairly significant amount of business could be done through those vending machines for the schools, and it created a large amount of funding because they, you know, many times the Coke bottlers would create a deal with the schools where a significant amount of that revenue would be plowed back into the schools, which was good for the schools and help with extracurricular activities and those kinds of things. Sure. The problem with it is, you know, as as obesity generally and specifically relative to youth has exploded in the last 20 years in the United States, those vending machines have become a bit of a lightning rod because as parents and educators try to provide healthier choices. Clearly, sugar soft drinks are not appropriate in that environment, but you're seeing this in school districts all across the country where they try to add healthier options, baby carrots, change the lunch line. There's still a tremendous amount of work that needs to be done there to provide the right kinds of food in those environments. But the kids are so um, habitualized in their consumption patterns that They'll stop at the local sea store before they go to school and stick a candy bar and a Coke in, in their bag before they get to school. So it's not as simple as just, uh, you know, changing what's at school. I think it really is changing perceptions of youth about what they eat and what it does to their bodies. And, again, using some of the marketing techniques we've used, you can start to create a coolness factor about healthier foods because if it's just you need to eat this because it's good for you, by definition, kids are going to reject that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I want to talk about the high school vending machine pilot studies, actually, that you did in both Cincinnati, Ohio, and Syracuse, New York, where you sold the baby carrots. They were highly successful. One of the questions that's always raised whenever we talk about changing the, the mix in vending machines is that the thing about the processed food is that it, it doesn't spoil. Whereas with something like baby carrots, they've got a shelf life and they've got to be moving. Did you have any problems with that? Well, you know, we were actually positively surprised that we had plenty of movement and velocity out of those vending machines and and didn't have any real spoilage issues. If you think about it, we were selling anywhere from 80 to 100 bags a week. And baby carrots have about a 24-day, 21-day shelf life, 24-day shelf life, something like that. And by the time we got them in there, we really didn't have any problem. And, and again, we did some marketing studies with the kids in the schools, and, and they did some surveys for us. And it was fascinating because it was really a, a group of students 
who were looking for healthier choices, you know, baby carrots were an easy one for them. Uh, you know, everybody likes them, basically. They weren't polarizing like broccoli and some other vegetables. And so the kids really thanked us and really felt like this opportunity could be extended to other kinds of products in school because kids who have a basic nutritional knowledge, they really get it, and they understand that fresh fruits and vegetables are really the foundation of a healthy diet. And what they told us was the problem is they're just not available. You know, they, it's hard for them to bring them from home. And, and so the opportunity, and there's some other companies, Dole, Del Monte, there's some folks testing now fresh fruit and vegetable vending machines. And, and I think that spoilage is clearly an issue, but it is such a big opportunity that it, it needs, uh, you know, a lot community focus to make it real. And the spoilage issue is a, a factor, but if you get the right partnerships, you get the right kind of distribution partner, they could theoretically be in those schools every two, three days loading up that vending machine. So I, I think it's manageable. Now, the schools don't get money back from the healthier choices, though, do they? As they would Well, it's, it's still too early, I think, to determine. It's It's really an issue of, who puts those machines in and kind of who shares in the uh, in the revenue. Now, now, what we did with the schools is for this test, we were vending at 50 cents. We were actually giving them the baby carrots for the vending test, but going forward, they can buy these little um, snack packs mm-hmm. for about 20 cents, and they could still sell them for 50 and make a, a good profit. Sure. So the economics are, are really there. Again, you still have to have the the distribution arm, you know, somebody who places the vending machine and ensures the product is delivered. And and we're working with uh, a number of fresh distributors, you know, the the people who are bringing fresh vegetables into grocery stores because they see this as a growth opportunity as well. Mm -hmm. So this is one of the places, this is where public-private partnerships could really work. I mean, it's it's tough right now with the state of state and local governments because they're also stressed for funding and school funding is getting cut. But at the heart of it, if you think about the issues with childhood obesity and, and that exploding, one of the places that should really be a focus is schools and how we reinvent the whole school food system. Because if we can do that, no question that kids will carry forward with them in the same way that they built their loyalty to brands like Coca-Cola if you know you can get into school gardens and teach them about organic food they'll carry those behaviors with them so it's a, it's a, it's going to take an investment but that investment i think from a societal standpoint is going to pay back because you're not going to have the long term health costs associated with obesity if you can just teach kids early enough what healthy eating is all about mhm and making them available and with a great promotion plan behind them one of the things you said during the conference was that the best advertising is built on American ideals, and you described really smart and savvy ad campaigns like Coca-Cola had and certainly Marlboro. And then you described how you were marketing these baby carrots, which I thought was absolutely brilliant, how you, you broke the consumers into three segments. There were the indulgent snackers, the extreme snackers, and the futuristic snackers. For the students, would you say that they're mostly of the extreme ilk? Is that how you targeted them? Yeah, that's correct. Because as we as we studied junk food advertising, uh, we really identified these three genres: indulgent, think Dove bars, 
so so there's clearly a, a kind of indulgent subsegment. Extreme Doritos, all the extreme kinds of Red Bull, those kinds of, of products, and then kind of futuristic Take Five gum tends to be more innovative type mm-hmm. products. And so people have reacted interestingly. We had packaging that went with each of those, and then we had three television commercials, one in each genre featuring baby carrots. But the one that seems to resonate most with students was this extreme spot and and the extreme packaging. And that comes out of X Games and all the kind of extreme stuff they see on the web. But it's a funny spot because what we did is we took a shopping cart and put a jet engine on it and had this kid kind of going down this canyon and then trying to jump the canyon with his shopping cart. And it it's done a bit t- tongue-in-cheek, but the production values are tremendous. And, and kids, they get it. It's kind of an inside joke. They, they know that nobody's really going to do that. But what ends up do, uh, creating for them is this energy. And, and ultimately, that's what advertising does for you. It, it creates this image, this energy around your brand. And that's what uh, people remember. It's not necessarily a linear and logical kind of left brain exercise. It's more holistic than that. And people take away those positive feelings. And then when they get into the moment of truth in terms of purchasing or consuming a product, those things come into play. And all of the data on this is uh, fairly new in terms of what they've been doing with brain studies, you know, brain mapping. Right, right. But, it, you know, from a unhealthy eating standpoint, they they found a couple interesting things. Sugar and uh, sweet products, uh, soft drinks, candy, cookies, those kinds of things. Uh, they light up the same areas of your brain as drugs do. So, you know, the pleasure centers of your brain, if you want to think about it that way. So what ends up happening is, you know, people get into fairly habituated patterns of consumption because it's it's lighting up their brain. Now, your brain can be retrained, and part of that when you get later in life is why it gets harder to change those dietary patterns. But if you start young and you can create the imagery, you can actually trick the brain a little bit by creating those that, that imagery and then connecting it to a product. And that can actually have the same effect of lighting up those parts of your brain. Jeff. So one of the, the big hopes as we go forward over the next you know 10 or 20 years is that this emerging neuroscience can help us basically understand what drives kind of this habituated behavior and what kinds of combination of product innovation, advertising, communication innovation can start to uh, change that direction because, you know, the problem with high per capita consumptions, either of sugar soft drinks or, you know, it could be candy, it could be anything that has low nutritional value is your body's really looking to get a, a certain amount of basic nutritional value. And if you're eating a lot of things with high calories but low nutritional value, you know, and that's lighting up your brain, that's creating a very problematic long-term behavior pattern that it's not so easy to break. Jeff, we're going to have to end our time together. I am so sorry. This has been so fascinating. We've been speaking with Jeff Dunn. He's the chief executive officer at Bolthouse Farms, and he's been involved in a tremendous baby carrot marketing campaign. I want to remind our listeners that Food Sleuth Radio is produced at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Jeff, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thanks for having me. It was fun. 